0: Will you start a podcast with me, Namri?
1: Since you ask me to do it, I will not. If you were indifferent, though.
0: Hmm. The malady of bad podcasts is what destroys many things. Yes. Even fandoms die of it. (laughs) True.
1: Name names, Leto. (laughs) Call them out.
0: (laughs) Right. Don't be so general about it, you know?
1: (laughs) Get toxic.
0: <laughs> Let's start adding some people, Plato. <laughs> He's always
1: talking generally on Twitter about, like, oh, don't you hate when certain content creators, it's like, name names, dude. <laughs> Welcome to Gom Jabbar, your guide to the iconic world of Dune. We'll be exploring the themes, philosophies, and characters found in the sandy depths of this vast universe, from Frank Herbert's groundbreaking novels to the adaptations on film and TV. I'm Leo. And my name's Abu. And we are back with another 50 pages of Children of Dune.
0: <laughs> yes. What a weird 50 pages, this one.
1: No kidding. Oh my god. (laughs) A lot of in people's heads, a lot of
0: philosophy. Yeah. It's cool. I love it. But it's weird. (laughs) Yeah, truly. I can't wait to get into it. But as always, let's take care of some housekeeping. Of course. First and foremost, spoiler warning for today. No spoilers in today's episode beyond the pages and books that we have covered thus far. So as long as you've done today's assigned reading, you're good to go. Yes. A reminder that
1: the best way to support us is to become a patron over at patreon.com forward slash gamjabar. You can get cool benefits like ad free episodes. Whoa. Ooh. Weekly blooper clips. Are you kidding? And an <laughs> invite to our discord server where we personally hang out sometimes. Yes, indeed. Crazy. But of course, that takes us to our Quisats Haderach level patrons. Case
0: Aiken and
1: Matthew Good. Hello. Good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Matthew, tell us how to say your last name. Welcome to the Quizettes Hatterack Patron Club. Matthew, we are so humbled that you are here and supporting us in this way. Indeed. Fellas, seriously,
1: your support means the world. And we would absolutely loosen the trap fine so you can breathe more comfortably. And then we'd let you go because you're so great. You're so nice. Yeah, Wouldn't even take you back to Chakarudu. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but only if you wanted us to. We could also do the opposite. Hey, true. Yeah. Make it tighter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on from that weirdness. <laughs> another great way to support the show is to get yourself some Dune-themed merch from our store mm. at gomjabarshop.com. We have art we have apparel, we have mugs, a tote bag, and much more. So go get some Dune swag at comjaparshop.com.
1: Indeed. Finally, we love to hear from you. So email us, gomjaparpodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear your thoughts, your questions, your theories, some of the stuff we talk about today. Up for interpretation. We want your interpretations. Let us know. Yeah. And if you've got nothing else to share... Your favorite ice cream flavor would be appreciated.
0: That's right. I especially want to know that one so I can ban anyone that says mint from ever listening to us ever again.
1: Solid. Happy to say not my, uh, not my favorite so we don't have to end the podcast there. Really dodged a mint flavored bullet on that one.
0: Yeah, that was a risky thing for me to say without checking with you first. But we made it. We're through to the other side. It's one of the
1: great barriers. <laughs> Many podcasts <laughs> are ended by ice cream preferences.
0: <laughs> so here's the game plan for today. If you are an avid book club listener, you know what's up. We're going to start with a summary of today's chapters. Then we'll dive into a couple of key takeaways. And finally, we'll wrap up with chomping down on some yummy spice morsels as we always do. So let's get into it. Let's do it right after a break. (laughs) So
1: stick around. We'll be right back after this, getting into our chapter summaries. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check.
0: Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our
1: mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: Welcome back, folks. Let's do it. Let's get into our chapter summaries for today, starting with chapter 35. Our first chapter begins in the deep desert on Arrakis as leto 2 looks out over what he believes is jakarutu this assumption isn't out though because eerily there's like not a single living thing in sight and we're not just talking like no people walking around there's not even animals right. in the there's no birds in the air there's no animals anywhere to be seen it looks completely and utterly abandoned and in fact the only sign that a human was ever here at all are these wind traps that Leto can see as he kind of looks down over the siege through his binoculars, because he's, he's looking around for an entrance. He's trying to come up with a game plan of how he's about to approach. Yeah. In a poignant little moment, Leto actually comments on beyond the white lands, a place of superstition off to his right. Hmm. Leto knows this to be the gypsum sedimentary deposits from Lake Azrak. Which is proof of open water that once existed on Arrakis. Again, something only he and Ganema and other preborn are aware of because they got those memories all the way back then. Right. What's interesting is just like Fondac, this gypsum plain is a place whose true meaning has kind of been forgotten and is instead explained by relatively recent superstition. Right. Yeah. So you get this nice little. Geographical metaphor here from Leto's thoughts. Oh that's good cool. writing, Frank. Yeah. Props.
1: <laughs> I think this Frank guy <laughs> knows what he's doing it's pretty good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so a nice little parallel there. Now as Leto looks out over Jokarutu or what he thinks is Jokarutu, doubts start to creep into his mind. What should he do? What's the next move? Is this place really abandoned? What if his visions weren't true and his golden path fails before it even begins? A lot of doubts sort of assailing him at this moment. Yeah, What he decides to do is settle in for the day. The sun is rising. He's got to camp. So he gets the still tent out and he sort of passes the day figuring out his next steps and also resting. Right. When he emerges later that evening, nothing has really changed. He checks the surroundings once again. Everything still looks completely and utterly abandoned. And so he decides to be patient, much more patient than me. Honestly, I would have been like, all right, fuck it. I'm going in. Yeah. He decides to bide his time and keep watch. Maybe someone will appear. Maybe some sign of life will show itself. And to pass the hours, (laughs) he decides to review Chaucer's route from London to Canterbury. (laughs) Don't we all?
1: Yeah, I do that all the time.
0: (laughs) I love this quote. Quote. It gave him a sense of timeless buoyancy to know that few in his universe would recall Chaucer or know any London except the village on Gansareed, end quote.
1: Yeah. (laughs) New London out on uh, Gansareed.
0: Right. Presumably the planet Gansareed. I loved this. This gave me a good chuckle. This is some classic pre-born shit, you know?
1: Yeah. It's pretty excellent. Um, He also mentions that he made that trek himself he's like oh yeah right i walked that route once <laughs> i do appreciate how patient and also just how careful he's being like we are seeing leto utterly committed to not making a mistake right this is like paul in the decision nexus knowing that he has to be firing on all cylinders he's like i'll wait i have some time you know i might die of thirst eventually but <laughs> for now i'll wait and It's cool. It's cool to see this character that we've seen be so like sassy and sarcastic. It's cool to see him like really knuckling down and and kind of being in the moment, taking this so seriously.
0: That's a great point. And I think that seriousness comes from the fact that unlike Paul, who in Dune Messiah, as we talked a lot about, was basically on these train tracks, Right. right? Like was just following the script that the visions had already told him. Leto is not. Leto has had some visions of the golden path, but he does not know exactly the steps to get there. Right. He just knows that he has to get there for the sake of humanity. So great point, Leo. Like the, Like this is a very high stakes journey for him here into the desert. If he fails, he fails all of humanity. And he doesn't know the exact path like his father did.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Eventually, though, he does make his way down toward this abandoned siege and suddenly finds himself caught in trap vine. Ah, Uh shit. (laughs) Shit, this always happens. Uh, All the time. A trap is suddenly sprung on Leto. He's blinded by these lights that are shined down on him and a heavy masculine voice tells him to surrender. This voice says, quote, do not struggle, Leto Atreides. I have your water in my cup. Mm. End quote, which is such a good Quote When you know how critical water is to the Fremen lifestyle.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: To have someone else's water in your cup, I hold your life in my hands. So good. Right. Obviously, we find out in a later chapter today that this voice is Gurney Halleck. Mm -hmm. And he explains in this scene that this trap has been specifically laid to catch Leto, who has to be, quote unquote, educated before he can be allowed to ascend the throne.
1: Right, right.
0: Gurney then jolts Leto with something called a slap shot, which I assume is some sort of like taser. And uh, our boy falls unconscious. He blacks out here at the end of this chapter after falling into Gurney's trap. Chapter 36.
1: In chapter 36, we join Alia Atreides, or I, read, I listened to the audiobook for the first time and yeah, Alia. Weird. Yeah that dry, that uh yeah
0: breaks my brain every time the audiobook says that.
1: A little weird, but it's fine. We're going I'm going to keep saying Alia. So Alia is berating her guards, her uh, priestly guards in the temple foyer. Now she's lashing out at them because they failed to capture the preacher quietly and without harming him. Right. The guard captain is like but he's always surrounded by people. What do you want <laughs> us to do? He draws a fucking crowd. He's got the hand in his bag. He's always making a big old scene. How do we do this quietly? I think, guys, hear me out. This is going to sound crazy. I think we should kill him. He's too dangerous. He's best He's best killed. Bold. <laughs> it's a bold solution, especially because Alia's is like, this fucking guy, it's Paul. I can't tell them that, but it's <laughs> okay, whatever. Yeah. Now, throughout this scene, Alia is really angry. She's wondering at her own anger throughout this scene. Clearly, the Baron is continuing to have this kind of passive effect on her psyche, right? Like, if you read this scene and then think about Baron yelling at Nafud after the uh, tooth incident, it's like one for one, their tone of voice and their, like, the way that they articulate themselves. It's really interesting. Now, underlying the sort of on-the-surface conversation that Ali is having with these priestly guards is her inner panic about basically losing control of her schemes. Quote, Her body trembled with unleashed tensions. Idaho gone. The Lady Jessica, no reports, only rumors that they were on Salusa. Why hadn't Idaho sent a message? What had he done? Had he learned, finally, about Javid? and quote girl, girl you are <laughs> people are tweeting about you and javid right now yeah. you gotta she thinks she's so secretive it's embarrassing embarrassing alia come on
0: yeah honestly nobody needs to go on Mari. we all know <laughs> we don't need the dna test <laughs>
1: <laughs> now the baron uninvited comes into the scene rises within her mind complimenting her On how she basically settles the argument with the guard captain. Like, the way she worded it was not, do not kill him or hurt him, right? She was not that clear. So, they're like, okay, she's not in a position to say she wants him dead, but it would make her happy if he was, right? And Baron Harkonnen's like, you fucking nailed it with that ambiguity. (laughs) Because, hey, like, one of them might go and do it. That's hilarious. That you know, one of your priestly guards would kill Paul. Like that's so funny. Hope that happens, right, Barron's Baron's crossing his fingers, knocking on wood. Yeah, Alia hates this. <laughs> She's like, "Shut up!" And actually, quote, "Shut up!" <laughs> she hissed, <laughs> "Shut up! I should never have listened to you. Look what you've done." End quote. Panicking, just sheer and utter panic. And Baron's like, "What? I." Got you a shot at immortality? Come on. Overreacting. Besides, remember Ganima? Ganima might be the solution to all our problems. And right. Alia's like, yeah, that's a good point. And again, we see Alia under Baron's influence. Alia Atreides would never be like, yo, you right. You've totally distracted me. <laughs> She's just going along with his suggestions now so quickly. It's tragic. And this is
0: While she's also basically resisting him. Yeah, we can see how deeply he's rooted into her psyche. Let's move on to chapter 37. We return to Jakarutu, where Leitutu is slowly coming to. And at the moment, he's sort of lost in a very confusing sea of voices and half dreams and half visions. Right. And he opens his eyes... To realize that at least one of those voices that he's hearing is actually a real person in the room right now with him. This old Fremen named Namri, who introduces himself as the father of Javid. Namri tells Leto that he is here to test him. And in fact, the test is going to be this Bilbo Gollum game of riddles thing, basically. But to be very clear, not a fun game of riddles between friends. No. This is a very high stakes game. Right. Quote, Leto noted that Namri's tone was not unkind, but it was firm and no denying the death in it. End quote. Right. <laughs> so if Leto does not answer these riddles in a satisfactory fashion, Namri is ready to kill him. Right. Right then and there. Yeah. Now there's... So much to say about these riddles that we are going to save it for a takeaway later. So hold your thoughts on that. For now, what's important to note is that Leto does pass the test, although it's not with A's on the report card across the board. (laughs) Right, right. He just does well enough. And Namri's not ready to kill him yet, but he's also not ready to make him his BFF.
1: (laughs) Right. You haven't graduated, kid. All right, Stop <laughs> reciting these essays. He's like,
0: what do you want me to do? I right. did the reading. M- much like me in college, just coasting barely on that line between <laughs> failure and passing.
1: Yeah. Relying on that other memory for every test.
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, Namri leaves, but he does tell Leto that the man who has captured you will be meeting you shortly. And obviously we know that man is Gurney Halleck. While Leto waits alone in this room, he considers how this whole situation, this test, this abduction, all of it reeks of Benny Jesuit meddling. And thus, connecting some dots, he wonders whether Jessica's hand is in all of this. Right. What role is she playing in his abduction here? What's going on?
1: Right. Yeah. Chapter 38. In the next chapter, we join Lady Jessica and Faradin rocking a onesie, rocking a, <laughs> a gray leotard on Seleucus Secundus during one of their lessons. Now, Jessica asks, in addition to some other things, she asks Faradin, why'd y'all, why'd you never get a Benny Gesserit teacher? Like, I bet they would have jumped at the chance to <laughs> in you to them, right? Like, get you to owe them stuff. That would have been great. And he tells her that, well... Ma, never let me. Mama, never let me have a Bene Gesserit <laughs> teacher. Of course, I mean Wincesia. And for those of you curious about what's going on with Wincesia these days. Oh, my God. Quote, he shrugged an eloquent comment on Wincesia's banishment. End quote. <laughs> <laughs> Just the voice of the text, that that the shrug is an eloquent comment. It's just so funny to me.
0: Yeah. There are a few laugh-out-loud moments in Dune. This is one of them. Yeah,
1: I loved it. So good. Now, Faradin's lesson today is seemingly a simple one. Stare at your hands, make them get old, and then make them get real young. And then go from real young to real old and back again. And... He's like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. She's like, yeah, try it. He's like, well, I want to know what you're, she's like, try it, fucking try it. Well, you want, it? what do you want for me? But there is a Benny Gesserit lesson to be learned here, as Jessica explains. Quote, reversing that change flow will teach you to see every system as something spinning in relative stability. Only relative This is the perspective which you create with your own belief, and beliefs can be manipulated by imagination. End quote. So, Bene Gesserit. I love it. It's that idea of, like, the mind creates reality. And something we've talked about in the past is the weirding combat style, which basically, like, wills your body to move faster than it normally would, right? And you kind of mm-hmm. appear to teleport because you're just moving so decidedly. And it's very, very cool because it also ties into something we saw Leto do earlier in this, this reading. Right. He says something along the lines of um, knowing is like the first barrier to learning or like knowing is a barrier to learning. And in observing Jakarudu, he had to like wipe his expectations away. Right. Yeah, My hand is the age it appears to be is like an expectation and a belief. You wipe that away and maybe then you start to see old and young and old and young. It's very neat. It's all very um, philosophical, very Bene Gesserit, as you're saying. The idea of manipulating beliefs, those words going well together for the missionaria protectiva (laughs) divas as they are. (laughs) But he does commit to trying. He's like, I've got this. Okay all right, you're going to go on your garden walk. That's fine. I'm going to focus on doing this. Now, Jessica, on her way out to take her little garden walk, looks at him and can't help but think of her son, right? Can't help but think of Paul, who she trained so many years ago. Quote, she studied him a moment. How intent he looked. He reminded her with a heart-tugging abruptness of her own lost son. End quote. Ah. Huh. Yeah, beautiful. Really beautiful stuff. A reminder that like Jessica is clearly up to th- up to things all the time, but lest we forget she is still a mother and she is still uh was the love of Duke Leto Atreides, like she has lost so much and yeah. it's these little moments that are so humanizing for her. She's not just the like agent of the Bene Gesserit present in the story right now she is very much this this whole character and it's fun to see these little moments so she leaves the room and walks the garden followed by her like omnipresent guards thinking about her own schemes and her own plans and her own plots all of which we don't fucking know anything about yet so uh
0: <laughs> dune uh, reading dune i guess yeah she's just thinking stuff like Oh, well, now we'll see if Gurney and Duncan do their jobs and fall into place. Like, what are their jobs? And I'm over here like, what place? What, what jobs? <laughs> what yeah, exactly. What, what
1: place? <laughs> working on a jigsaw puzzle, but it's upside
0: down. It's like, how are you putting pieces? <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I'm so confused. Yeah. We'll just have to wait and see what she's up to. But as you said, Lady Jessica, always up to something. Always. Hashtag always scheming.
1: Hashtag. <laughs> Hashtag missionaria protectiva diva. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That's good. <laughs> All right. Chapter 39. Speaking of her schemes, let's uh, check in on one of them. Hmm. Back at Jakarutu, baby, with Leto. He is still waiting for the person who has captured him to enter. And when this person does, it's a bombshell. Gurney Halleck himself.
1: <laughs> My God, he fucks. <laughs>
0: everybody's first thought yeah now gurney reveals to leto what exactly lady jessica has charged him to do what this whole abduction plan is for quote halleck lifted a hand from the folds of his robe exposed a fremen injector primitive but efficient its transparent tube was charged with blue fluid I see you've recognized the spice essence, Halleck said. You're to take the worm trip, lad. End quote. (laughs) Oh, fuck. You're to take the worm trip, lad.
1: (laughs) Every young man remembers when their father came into the room. You're to take the worm trip, lad.
0: (laughs) No, papa, no. Papa, papa, no. (laughs) No. Oh, man, what a terrifying moment, both for us as the reader and Leto. Yeah. Gurney is about to force Leto to undergo the spice agony, the very thing that he and Ganema have avoided for fear of making the same mistakes their father did, right? They know what happened to their dad, and they don't want to fall into the same trap, so they've been avoiding spice intake. And here's Gurney with a fucking old-ass injector. Who else used that fucking injector before me? About to pump Leto full of what looks like pure spice essence. Yeah. Leto, understandably, in this moment, frozen in shock and fear. There's this really gut-wrenching line where he even tries to move his body, but he's so frightened that he's just frozen in place. And Gurney takes this moment to basically inject him in the arm. And that obviously sends Leto into the agony spiraling through space and time
1: yeah this moment rereading it is so like moving to me is really affecting yeah like we see leto's genuine deep you know profound fear of falling the way alia has you know the greatest he says the greatest fear for pre-born right and even as like paul and jessica's other memories, right? He talks about his father essence being like, no, nah, it's cool. You're good. And then he's like, Jessica wouldn't do this to me. And Jessica inside of him is like, no, nah, I'd do it to you. Like you should let it happen. Go with yeah, it. Yeah, Jesus. Even as that shit's happening, he's recoiling. And I see all of these characters, right? We've got Namri, Gurney in the room, cornering him physically. We've got his internal other voices, these guardians and counselors that he's been able to rely on. And as he pointed out earlier, nowhere else to go in the fucking world, like nowhere to go in the universe. And his greatest fear is being injected into his arm. Right. This like, yeah, insane spice essence. And he's like, these fucking idiots, what are they doing? They don't know what they're doing. And there's a real sense of they don't understand the stakes uh, that they're you know, they're rolling his dice for him and they don't understand what's on the line.
0: Yeah. Not just for them, not just for Leto, but as we know,
1: all of humanity, <laughs> for all of humanity, the golden <laughs> path. God. Yeah, And it's so easy to forget that Leto who is not a child is still a child. Like it's, yeah, it's yes. easy to forget that he's a nine year old and his fear here is just so heartbreaking. And it's, Like, I remember just getting the first time I read this, I just remember getting so angry at Gurney. I'm like, you fucking idiot. You don't know what you're doing.
0: Oh, totally. Totally. Let's talk about these visions he has, though, because the spice is coursing through his veins and he is having very intense, very chaotic flashes in his visions. He sees things like a young woman roasting coffee, he feels skin that's not his own. He sees visions of stars falling from the sky. It's all so intense and so overwhelming for him. Throughout all of this, he hears Paul's voice, the other memory of Paul, promising to protect him from the other personas. Right. So at the very least, he won't be overwhelmed by the personas within his mind. It's just him and Paul trying to manage this trip, you know, this like spice acid prescient trip that he's undergoing. Right. Right. This trance then deepens and gets worse, if you can imagine, and the visions become faster and more intense. There's some really beautiful writing here from Frank that illustrates how overwhelming and completely oppressive this must be for Leto. Like reading these paragraphs is almost uncomfortable because it's so much and so intense. So, uh, I mean, again, I think this Frank guy knows what he's doing. Really good (laughs) stuff. It's true. (laughs) Now, astonishingly, things actually take a turn because Leto begins to process all of this data that's crashing into his mind. He's starting to take hold of the reins a little bit right? to the extent that he actually stops needing the help of his other memory father, quote, the worm trip had added another dimension, and his father no longer stood guard within him because the need no longer existed. Leto saw through the distances clearly, past and present, end quote. Mm. So it's almost a leveling up, like he's overwhelmed at first by this trance, but it's also unlocking his innate abilities, and he's able to process what's happening to the point where he doesn't need his father to hold his hand. Right. So this is cool. This is like us almost in real time, once again, seeing a Kwisatz Haderach undergo a type of agony. And he even recognizes that he should not allow anyone to see the true extent of his abilities. Now that he's starting to control them and understand them, it would be dangerous for other people to realize how (laughs) truly like, Godlike he is, how prescient he is. Quote, That, of course, was why Gurney had been taught to fear him, why Namri's knife waited. They could not be allowed to see this power within him. No one could ever see it in its fullness. Not even Ganema. End quote.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, it is a little unclear to me. I'd be interested to hear what our listeners think about this. But through this process, I get the impression that Leto's powers are greater than Paul's ever were. And part of this, I think, definitely comes down to like the experience of how to use the powers and like understanding their true nature as the second generation of someone to have them. Um, there's also, I've seen arguments made online that because Paul was a generation early for the Quisatz Haderach, like <laughs> the planned Quisatz Haderach, uh, you know, person was supposed to be the child of Paul or whoever. Um, So this perhaps is even like the more full powers that Paul never even technically had access to. Um, yeah, Super Saiyan 2. Super Saiyan 2. <laughs> Gohan, Gohan did it
0: first. <laughs> yeah. Gohan did it first. That's how you defeat Cell.
1: What a great scene too where he just kills all those <laughs> little guys so fast. Oh my god. Loved it. I also need a hyperbolic time chamber in my life so desperately so um, badly um, so oh badly i'd go into it all the time <laughs> i'd be a 75 year old 32
0: year old yeah uh, that'd be my room i'd sleep in it every <laughs> night <laughs>
1: I, I i think also leto to being pre-born just like go on being pre-born <laughs> is part of what's giving him access to this uh this full power potential right like he mentions this idea of mass experience that all of the past abilities beyond count, you can't even count them in a single lifetime. There are so many generational like experiences within him. He's saying, I can wield that as a force that is unstoppable and unspeakable in its power, and no one can ever know that. And I think Paul, who had spent, I don't know, 16, 17 years as just Paul Atreides before he had access to his other memories. Like, much like Jessica as a reverend mother doesn't have the same abilities that Alia has, I think Leto here has a degree of Kwisatz Haderachness that is greater than Paul. uh, Or at least that's the impression I get from this little thing. Because he's also not saying, yo, I should totally tell the preacher about this, because the preacher is probably (laughs) Paul. He'll get it. He'll get the thing that we both have. He's saying... No one in the universe can ever know the full extent of my abilities.
0: Yeah. Not even his sister, who is maybe the closest person to understanding what Leto is. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. I think Leto's preborn nature, his genes, his knowledge from his father, all of that culminates in him being a much more effective Kwisatz Haderach, a Super Saiyan 2 Versus Paul's just regular old Super Saiyan one.
1: Right.
0: Well, chapter 39 ends as Leto finally comes out of this trance. And Gurney has left the room. Namri is still there, knife in hand. And Leto asks Namri if he will kill him. Almost in a pleading way, which is really sad to hear. You know, like this has not been a fun trance, despite the powers that have awakened within him. Right. Once again, though... It appears that Leto has passed some sort of test for Namri here. Quote, Namri took his hand from his knife. Since you ask me to do it, I will not. End quote. Host a podcast with me, Namri. Come on, dude. <laughs> Come on. It'll be fun.
1: <laughs> I don't know how this works for you, but when I tell people, oh, yeah, one of my jobs is running a podcast, I find that I have to, like... Get ahead of the expectation. You know those memes about, like, when two guys have, like, a half-decent conversation and they're like, we should start a podcast? Yeah. (laughs) I've seen those memes. I have to be like, no, it's, like, a serious thing. We're, like,
0: really popular (laughs) with some people. (laughs) Yeah, no, I promise we, like, write these massive scripts and we do hours of research. (laughs) We're not just cracking beers and talking about sports and Uh, girls, bruh. Yeah. I mean, we we get some
1: talk in there, but... (laughs) flashback like war war flashback to all the dick jokes we made it's like oh no <laughs> maybe right. maybe we
0: are a super cut of all the dick jokes <laughs> yeah oh my god have we lived long enough to see ourselves become the bad podcast
1: <laughs> we were supposed to not do that
0: yeah. okay <laughs> to bring balance to the podcast not destroy them <sighs> oh, fuck god damn just... that was like four layers of references there jesus <laughs> christ <laughs> True.
1: All right, chapter 40, our final chapter today, takes place in Alia's royal quarters. Ooh, as a heated argument is going on between her and Ganema.
0: <laughs> oh, no.
1: Love it. And God, this, this whole chapter is just one or two notes blaring at each other the whole time. The general gist Alia is trying to convince Ganima to marry Faradin. And Ganema's like, fuck that. I'm going to goddamn kill him. Uh, he killed my brother with a couple of Tony and Tina the Tigers. I'm going to kill that guy as soon as I can. And uh, Alia's like, but come on. You should, you have, you don't get to choose. You're a lady. And you got to marry who I say you have to marry. And is like, fuck that. I'm a Fremen. Give, bring him here. I'll kill him. Yeah. It's great. So funny. I do love Ghanima in this scene. It's so much fun. Yeah. But for Alia, this is another move in her scheme to basically take the throne fully, right? If Ganema were to agree to the marriage, the Fremen would basically lose all respect for that young Atreides. And if Ganema loses the Fremen, that means the Fremen really don't have anybody but Alia. And recall, they are the pretty much the only like indomitable militaristic force in the universe right now. So, yeah, you got to keep them if you want to stay in power. So that's her plan here. Right. Irulan (laughs) comes in. She's like, oh, hello. (laughs) And things get more heated and also more awkward. Uh, Alia's like, Irulan, you try to convince her. (laughs) Ganima cuts her off at the pass. Quote, you're a Carino, Irulan, Ganima said. Don't press your luck with me. (laughs) End quote. Incredible. It's so funny, uh, and we're getting to one of my favorite quotes from this reading in a minute, but their conversation goes in circles. Alia and Ganema are kind of tap dancing around this uh, abomination kind of threat. Somehow Alia still doesn't realize that Ganema knows, which is like <laughs> which super is shocking. Yeah, it's been yeah. literally months and in- insane that she has no clue that that you know on onto her. And at the peak of this almost saying things out loud and like almost laying it all out on the table, there's this silence that descends between the two. And Irulan, just ever the uh most attentive, most intelligent person in the room, notices the silence. She's Genius. like <laughs> She's like, wait, I think you two are suddenly kind of being quiet towards one another. <laughs> It's so unfortunate. I We love Irulan. She's the best. But golly, again, she just doesn't look great in this scene. Yeah. She
0: tries to use the voice on Ganema. Oh, my God. Why? <laughs> so stupid. Remember when she tried this on Paul and Messiah? It didn't work then either. <laughs> and also,
1: Irulan, you've been <laughs> raising her. Jesus. <laughs> and this is such a diss track. I love it. Quote, Ganima threw her head back in laughter. (laughs) Irulan, you'd try voice on me. You'd teach your grandmother to suck eggs. Amazing. The fact that I remember the expression, yeah, because Irulan's like, what? (laughs) What? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Can even laughs> continues. The fact that I remember the expression and you've never even heard it before should give you pause. It was an old expression of scorn when you, Benny Gesserit, were young. But if that doesn't chasten you, ask yourself. That's the word chasten, right? I feel like I've never said that out loud.
0: Chasen. Chasen. Oh, Google says chasen. Chasen. Fuck like English. I'm Like I'm chasing that booty. Like <laughs> I'm chasing that Irulan booty. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, she's the only non-problematic person in the room, all right? <laughs> <laughs> chasing that possessed barren booty. Nope. And not even going to make a joke about the other option. <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> okay.
0: We are that podcast. We are that oh, No! <laughs> oh,
1: God, let's be toxic. Let's just be so toxic. All right. <laughs> it was an ex- old expression of scorn when you many Jesuit, were young. But if that doesn't chasten you, ask yourself what your royal parents could have been thinking of when they named you Irulan. Or is it ruinal? And quote. Oh my- God, fucking wrecked. Fucking wrecked. Also, because canonically, Irulan's mother's name is Anirul. So it is like, I love that this is such a good burn. <laughs> 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 and then later she calls her like Ruinous Irulan. Fucking incredible. It's brutal. So it's at this moment that Alia is struck with a an inner suggestion and offers up a plan. Ganima, hear me out. Kill him go ahead, kill him. It's going to be great. Uh, But first, you agree to the marriage, and I'll set things up so that you can kill him before the ceremony. So you'll never have to be married to him. You know, we'll tell him he's going to be nice and safe, nice and taken care of. He's coming here for the wedding. I'll give you like one or two minutes, and you'll be able to uh, kill him during that time when his defenses are lowered. Irulan is like Fucking what? Are you kidding me? Quote, Alia, if we go back on our word, she let it hang there a moment while Alia smilingly reflected on the potential wrath among the great houses in Fou... Assembled. (laughs) (laughs) That word. Uh, The destructive consequences to believe in Atreides' honor, the loss of religious trust, all of the great and small building blocks which would tumble. End quote. Now you'll notice that shopping list of consequences, <laughs> like uh-huh, a trade uh-huh. honor being in the mud, the religious trust gone, the Fremen no longer. This is just Baron's wish list. This is Baron's, like, <laughs> I've been a good boy, Santa. Here's the things yes. I want. <laughs> you know, Alia slash the Baron, these are the things they want. I also love Irulan going, I wash my hands of this. I wasn't here. I'm not a part of this. Like, that makes a difference. Oh, my God. Now, Ali and Ganema basically don't listen to her. (laughs) They're like, all right, cool. You weren't here. You're not a part of this. Go away. Like, who invited you? (laughs) And Irulan storms out of the room.
0: Yeah. And the last thing I actually wanted to mention about this chapter is this final exchange between aunt and niece. Because it gave me a good chuckle. It was kind of funny. Quote, have her put under close surveillance lest she try to warn her nephew, Ganema said. Don't try to teach me how to conduct a plot, Alia said. <laughs> End quote. <laughs>
1: oh, my God.
0: <laughs> so funny.
1: That's incredible. I love it.
0: All right. That takes care of our chapter summaries for today. Let's take a short breather and figure out how we are going to conduct this plot. But after the break, we'll be getting into our key takeaways, and of course later we'll dive into our spice morsels. So don't go anywhere, folks. We will see you in a minute.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Yeah, (laughs) let's take a look at our key takeaways today, starting with Namri's riddles. Hey, what a fun, lighthearted, low-stakes game. (laughs) We promised we were going to give Namri's kind of riddle game, this first conversation he has with the young Leto Atreides, uh, a closer examination. So here we go, right? There are layers, as always, and some subtext, to it that are easy to miss on a first read. I'll also say, would love to hear readers' interpretations of this. Uh, I've been going through some emails recently and always blown away by the Insight People show. So
0: curious, curious
1: about what y'all have to say.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're going to share our theories and how we interpreted it, but that is only two versions of what this could all mean. So we'd love to hear your versions as well. Right. So, let's get into it. After speaking a bit about how the Fremen have flipped traditional day-night cycles, as we know, the Fremen prefer to operate in the night and rest and sleep during the day. They prefer moonlight over sunlight. Namri asks his first question. Quote, What light do you prefer, Atreides? End quote. And the subtle accusation here from Namri is that the Atreides are like the daytime sun. They've brought too much order, which he says is fatal. Quote, man is a creature of only that light which protects him. The sun was our enemy on Dune. End quote. Mm. And so what he's getting at here, sort of the subtext, is that by equating the Atreides to the sun, Namri is insinuating that the Atreides are maybe the... Enemy of the Fremen, just like the son of Dune out in the desert, is the enemy of the Fremen. Right. Leto's response is pretty clever. He'd do good on a political debate stage, I think. (laughs) He dodges the question by leaning into the lessons of Fremen law, which is something he knows an older traditional Fremen like Namri loves to hear. He responds, quote, I prefer the light of Lisanu Lahak. It is the light of truth, the light of the perfect man in which the influence of al Mutakalim can clearly be seen. What other light would a human prefer? End quote. And thus he dodges, do I like moonlight? Do I like sunlight? Am I with the Atreides? Am I not with the Atreides? By just saying, I'm here for the truth. Namri, for his part, is not super stoked about this answer. He's like, right. well, it sounds to me like you're preaching Fremen law at me. But he lets this one slide for now and begrudgingly accepts this as an acceptable response to the first riddle.
1: Yeah, I, I really get the impression here. So Namri is using these questions to gauge who Leto is, what he believes, and kind of... Again, Namri is is here, part of Gurney's, like Gurney and Jessica, like he's part of this ensemble, right? Gurney turned Leto over to Namri uh, for this conversation. Yeah, the idea that Leto is just reciting shit from his other memories is like, all right, you dodged the knife, but come on, dude. Like, I wanna, I'm getting to who you are, and so far you're just reciting shit, and that's not the point. Like, that's not why we're here.
0: Yeah.
1: Kind of the impression I get, at least from this first exchange.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, like, this is not a surefire answer, right? Like, yeah. Namri's not like, oh, you passed, you're good, no more questions. <laughs> yeah. This this is an answer that really toes the line. So, here we go. Question number two. Namri starts speaking about this hidden cave of life for the Fremen, which is a cave That he totally, 100% knows exists for sure because his uncle told him about it. And as a side note, I hear Namri's uncle works at Disney and totally has read the script for the next Star Wars movie also. So you can trust anything he has to say about Star Wars as well.
1: Right. You can also, uh, you you left out the bit, and he never lied to me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, right. Wow. An uncle that never lied to him too. Sure, yeah.
1: (laughs) As an uncle myself. Yeah, we never lie. It's true.
0: (laughs) So then Namri continues, and he asks Leto if he would open this cave. He accuses the Atreides of trying to control life through government and ritual, through these institutions that they've set up. And this leads Namri to the question he's been driving towards. Right. Quote, tell me, Atreides, what is wrong with your ministry? End quote. Pretty direct as far as riddles go.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You're like, whence the two feathers of the swallow? Okay, my next question the fucking government, what's up with that? (laughs) Right. Joe Biden, what is he doing? What is he? Is he so old? I don't know. Like, yeah.
0: Now, Leto thinks on this for a little bit and then responds with, quote, God's it is to show the way, end quote. Yeah. And what he's implying here with that response is that God is the only one who can open up this cave of life, a.k.a. try to control life. And that actually the Atreides are not gods and should not dare such power and thus should not try to open this cave that everyone's uncle knows 100% exists. <laughs> right. And I think it's
1: worth dwelling on for just a moment the fact that this cave of life that was sealed by Shai Hulud, right? The, the deity version of the sandworm. <laughs> yeah. This is a deity who cannot be reasoned with. You cannot, like, bargain your way into the cave of life past the Fremen deity, right? Right. And I see this as to the question earlier of the Fremen way versus this offworlder way the the various gods that people may worship whether it is Muad'Dib god you know embodied or some other offworld deity you know the cave of life is something you could see as bargainable something you could talk your way into or something that you can earn or something you can work towards but ultimately this idea that well Shai-Hulud the essence of Shai-Hulud the god is one of guidance of transport but not one of like having a nice little chat with gods it is to show the way is affirming that like this cave of life is only accessible if if you know kind of almost this random primordial chance brings you to it and it's not something to be controlled or reasoned with or like bargained into you know
0: yeah totally I actually love the fact that you brought up gods because in this conversation earlier, Nomri said something along the lines of, You've killed our gods. Right. And another layer, perhaps, to this Cave of Life question and this Shai Halud is Are you, Leto, still loyal to Shai Halud, the old Fremen gods? Right. Or are you now loyal to, you know, the Atreides gods, to the Atreides religion? There, there could be another subtext there as well of testing Leto's allegiance here religiously. Right. Now, all of this having been said, Namri is taken aback by this answer. He's also like, shit, I got a podcast for 45 minutes about this now. <laughs> and Le- Leto actually reassures him that this is why he made the trek out to Jakarutu in the first place to find what they call the way Mando would be a big fan of this. (laughs) This is the way. (laughs) This is the way. Leto says, I have come out here to find the way, a way that Alia's priests have kept hidden. Right. And again, a lot of religious subtext here, but basically Leto and Namri are starting to realize that maybe they share a common goal, actually. Maybe they do see eye to eye on some things. And it's this point in the riddle game, at least to me, that feels like a bit of a turning point. Namri's not totally sold on this kid yet, but he's also not as openly hostile as he was at the start.
1: Yeah, I definitely saw that, like his chin jerking down as Leto said that. I saw as very much like a, I'd written this kid off as just someone who's going to recite shit to me from his belief system uh, or like from the past. And for Leto to be like, no, fuck the ministry. He's like, whoa, yo, hey, what's up, yeah. kid? Like, hello. Hell yeah. <laughs> what up, <laughs> my dude? I mean, sorry, I'm an impartial judge. I'm the I'm the Iron Hammer or whatever. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> Leto's like, all right, I get this. But it is a moment where I also believe Leto meant what he said. And it's cool to see this. It's not Leto going into his memory going, what? What's the right fucking response that I'm supposed to say here? It's just him going, no, like, I'm here to uncover the truth, basically. That's why I'm here.
0: Yeah, totally. It convinces us, and it convinces Namri a little bit, too. Right. But hold your horses, folks. This riddle game is not over yet. Namri then talks about the shield wall at Dean and how it contains his family's marks. And he describes this sort of long story about a trip he took with a friend to go to the wall and look at those family marks. But then they were caught in a storm and they ended up seeing visions etched into the sand once that storm passed. And he asks, quote, Tell me, Atreides, where can I find that city of tombs? End quote. Now, Leto recognizes this sort of long story about the storm and the marks and the wall and the visions in the sand as part of old Zensuni philosophy. As we know, the Zensuni are the ancestors of the Fremen. And he answers, once again, he answers correctly that the city of tombs is actually not a real place that can be found. Quote, On the day of reckoning, all who stand up and seek the city of tombs shall not find it. For it is written, that which you know in one world, you shall not find in another. End quote.
1: Hmm. So cool.
0: Now, my interpretation on this whole city of tombs was that this seems to be some sort of Zensuni afterlife, some sort of heaven given to those that have spent a life following the Zensuni path and holding to those ideals. And much like modern day religions, it's not necessarily something that you seek. It's something that you earn, right? You live your life a certain way, like a Zen Sunni, and then it is something that you will be given once you've earned it. But if, like Leto says on the Day of Reckoning, you're out here looking for the city of tombs and finding your way in, it won't be there for you. Right. Okay, let's continue this riddle game because, uh uh-oh, there's a bonus question, folks. (laughs) Yeah. You thought this pop quiz was three questions, but it's four. And this one's a curveball because Namri then asks Leto about the people of Kadrish wearing imitation stillsuits. To which Leto replies, quote, The foppish habits of Kadrish are an old story often repeated. The wise animal blends into its surroundings. End quote.
1: Mm, yeah.
0: And Namri accepts this final answer and declares that Leto has passed the test. He will not kill Leto. For now. He has a provisional future, as Namri puts it. (laughs) Now, what's interesting is why this bonus question, why ask this sort of curveball about stillsuits. My interpretation is that Namri is basically looking to test what Leto's reaction is to this idea of fake stillsuits. And he basically gets the reaction he wants. Leto is like, oh, psh, those idiot kadrish, you know how they are. <laughs> yeah, Those bigot dummies are just copying their betters to fit in, right? Like they're, they're just animals doing what they need to to survive, imitating the true fremen of the desert. And I think that tone was the correct one for Leto to take, exactly what Namri was looking for. And I, th- I think his words reassured Namri that Leto has respect for the true Fremen of the desert and the true stillsuits and not the fake fashionable ones that even Stilgar, as we learned earlier in this book, despises.
1: Yeah, I get caught up on the word wise. The wise animal blends into its surroundings. Like he, he's ending this as this kernel of wisdom that Namri apparently accepts. Um, and so I'm like, I can't tell if it's Oh yeah, the Kadrish, who are always foppish are suddenly showing a bit of wisdom because they, as prey animals, are blending in to the environment. Its surroundings now being this dominant fremen force it could be one direction of thinking about it. But this is another thing that I'm like, oh man, I need. I just need like four hours to sit down and think, <laughs> like, yeah, think about and talk about these these little passages. Um,
0: Well, the word wise threw me off for a little bit too. But again, my take on it here is wise animal is perhaps a bit of an oxymoron because we know human animal test is like such a big theme in Dune. Yeah. And for Leto to basically call the Kadrish animals and not humans is also perhaps another way to belittle them. Another way to be like, look at them just copying the Fremen and using these imitation still suits.
1: That's a good point. That's a very good point. I hadn't thought about that.
0: Yeah. But again, dear listeners, send us your interpretations <laughs> about these riddles.
1: Yeah. Uh, word on the street is animals don't send emails. <laughs> Only humans, capital H, send emails. So if you want to pass this gomjabar test, dear listener, Hey-o. send an email. <laughs> <laughs> All
0: right. Let's wrap up this first takeaway. Zooming out sort of big picture. What's going on here? What is Namri doing with these questions? I think he has two goals here. One, I think he's testing that Leto is Fremen first and Atreides second, that he's still loyal to his Fremen side, to the Fremen culture he was raised in. And two, that Leto has sought out Jakarutu for the right reasons. Because you have to remember, Namri is a rebel, right? He's one of those desert Fremen who at this point in the story, we know are in this like tense almost civil war standoff with alias regime and the city Fremen the more modern Fremen. Right. So in my mind, it makes sense for him to want to test the allegiances of the <laughs> Atreides heir to the throne who just shows up at his fucking doorstep. Right. Like imagine if Vader just like walked up to the rebel base on Yavin and was like knock knock, I'm here. Yeah, like you're not gonna let that guy walk around for free. You're going to throw him in a room and interrogate him and figure out what he's doing there. Nomri's doing a little bit of that here, testing Leto on his allegiances. But of course, I think in like classic Frank fashion, what should have been Namri just asking Leto, hey, bro, are we cool or are we cool or what? Instead, it turns into a <laughs> deeply philosophical, political, and spiritual game of riddles.
1: Yeah. Dune, baby. <laughs> Dune, baby. <laughs> i and i also think he's to some degree i don't know how aligned he is with gurney and i, I actually say this genuinely i can't remember <laughs> uh but i know gurney turned Leto over to him so he's at least a little bit here as well under gurney under jessica under the benny Jesuit. so there's that sort of maybe bonus third testing thing right totally all right well for our second takeaway I named this cheekily like father, like son. I think during this episode's reading, I found myself over and over again, reflecting on some of the subtle and not as subtle parallels between Paul and Leto the second. Now we've always said that Leto Two dodged a lot of the hard lessons that Paul learned by relying on his father presence. You know, <laughs> Paul didn't have the user's manual for the fucking prescient car. Uh, and now leto does he's like, "Oh, I've got all those lessons he learned, but we also see how that fails him in certain circumstances, right? We've talked multiple times about the ballaset how his young kid hands don't work on the on the set. and even in this first chapter, as he talks about those two worms he rode almost to death, he talks about the fatigue that his like nine year old body is experiencing,
0: yeah, so let's actually. Talk about some of the parallels we see from Paul's journey and Leto's journey here in this book as well. After the attack on Arakin back in Dune, with his back against the wall, Paul, with his mother, set out into the desert to seek survival. The survival that he'd glimpsed in his visions. He knows he's going to meet the Fremen. Right. In Children of Dune, as we talked about in a recent book club... On Quizat's Hatarak Day, the preacher, aka Paul, said during his speech, quote, it will be said that Leto has gone where his father went, has done what his father did. End quote. He's right. We're saying it. We're saying it right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. He's like, take the takeaway today is like father like son. Yeah. That those are Paul's words, not ours. <laughs> Writing this script was
1: really easy. Paul just told us what to uh, what to say.
0: <laughs> so sure enough. When you take a look at Leto, he too, by this point in the story, has faked his death and is out in the desert on his own, and he's beginning his own trials to hopefully claim the survival, not only for himself, but for all of humanity, that he has also seen in his visions. Yeah. So very similarly, both father and son end up in situations where people think them dead, they are out in the desert, and they are undergoing trials and tribulations to achieve some end goal they've seen in visions.
1: Right. Also, next kind of point that we wanted to make, early into Paul's trip into the desert, his prescient visions begin threatening to take over, right? The spice that he's now breathing in the still tent, that he's eating in all of his food that's in the water, you know, it's everywhere, is amplifying his innate prescient abilities. And it's overwhelming. And it's, scary, and it's something that he's really struggling with. Now, in today's reading, Gurney says about the spice trance, quote, you're to take the worm trip, lad. (laughs) You must go through it. Otherwise, what your father dared and you dare not would hang over you for the rest of your days, end quote. So Gurney could be talking about the coma, could be talking about converting the water of life and that heavy of a spice experience that would give you, you know, your other memory and and awaken those Kwisatz Haderach powers, could be talking about that. But also I see him as saying, your father chose to embrace his prescient abilities as a Kwisatz Haderach. You have not chosen to do that, and you have to. Because until you do, it's going to be this cloud over your existence. You know, because so far, Leto's done his best to avoid them basically entirely for fear of of setting too certain a future, thanks to what he learned for Paul. Again, another fucking thing, Gurney doesn't know! (laughs) Gurney! (laughs) Jessica! Prescience is bad! Why don't you listen to Paul? Uh... God! Anyway. (laughs) It's with this injection of the spice essence, Leto too is tumbling into this familiar journey to Paul's, right, grappling with his Quisatz Haderach inheritance in a way that's really... Uh, he, uh, he's working with it. He's trying to figure it out. He's struggling in the same way that Paul was, although Leto II does it a little bit better.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And look, we can't talk about Quizette's Hadarach inheritance without saying Benny Gesserit. Right. We got to talk about the why behind all of this because the Benny Gesserit had a huge hand in creating Paul, right? Yeah. He was the byproduct of thousands of years of their breeding program. And now Leto is also being manipulated and used in some sort of Bene Gesserit plot that Jessica may or may not be involved in as part of their plans. Right. Both father and son play a role in this group's larger plans for humanity. We also saw Paul's anger toward Jessica back in the first book in that iconic still tent scene. Her involvement in his training, while on one level, yes, a defiance of the sisterhood, she wasn't supposed to have a son, she wasn't supposed to train him in the Beni Gesserit arts, but ultimately he had no choice in any of this Right. in whether or not he was born, literally, in whether or not he was trained, in whether or not he had the genes he has. All of that was choices made by other people. Right. Leto, too, and Ganema as well, have— spent their nine years dodging this catalyst, right? Avoiding spice intake so they can avoid this spice trance. They know the dangers. And here, once again, Jessica is playing a direct role in a young Atreides' life, taking that agency away and making a choice for him, forcing him into the spice trance against his wishes. Quote, What comes next, painful as it may seem, is at her command, end quote. That's what Gurney Halleck tells him. (laughs) Yeah. And what happens after this trance, we'll just have to wait and see because he's still in the clutches of Gurney and Namri and who knows how much more spice they plan to give him, how much is enough for them, what are they looking for, what's the end goal? All of that's still up in the air. It's
1: true. Now, the next kind of beat in this path is having joined the desert Fremen, this young Atreides heir is threatened by a Fremen, fully capable of killing him. Pop quiz. Was I talking about Paul or Leto 2 just now? <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs>
1: right, like, so Paul, right, had Jameis, who sought to test him through Amtal. If he were fit to lead the future, he'd survive the fight. Simple, clean. Here, Leto 2 meets Namri, an intense desert Fremen Willing to kill him if he answers these Zen Sunni like riddles incorrectly. Yet again, another example of, of uh, their journeys being similar. And finally, I, I want to wrap up on this one because this is really where I was writing and then suddenly I realized my tinfoil hat was on, <laughs> but <laughs> in only the best way. So, amidst the spice trance, right, similar to Paul's experiences as the Quisatz Haderach. Leto is experiencing confusion as he's washed from past to future violently, right? He's being flip-flopped really, really quickly. Let's start by looking at Paul's experience, right? On the day of his first worm ride back in Dune, we join Paul amidst a struggle to grasp when he is in time. Quote, (laughs) oh my God, and this blew my mind. This is so great. Quote, yet Chani was deep in the south, in the cold country where the sun was hot, secreted in one of the new Siege strongholds, safe with their son, Leto II. Or was that a thing yet to happen? Oh my god. First of all, yeah, fucking confusing when you name your two sons the same name. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, both a child who happened and died in that Sardaukar raid, and is also now one of the main characters of Children of Dune. Confusing for sure. But more generally, quote, Yet he could not escape the fear that he had somehow overrun himself, lost his position in time, so that past and future and present mingled without distinction, end quote. Now, in retrospect, this was probably where Paul started learning what he describes to Leto in that spice trance as stroboscopic awareness, which we'll talk about in the morsels. Um, so speaking of Leto too, let's talk about him and let's talk about his experience with the spice trance. Quote, he knew he had to flow with this thing, but the flowing terrified him. How could he return to any recognizable place? End quote. And man, this is where I realized my tinfoil hat was on. (laughs) Because I was like, wait, isn't that a reference to the first law of Mentat? Quote, a process cannot be understood by stopping it. Understanding must move with the flow of the process, must join it and flow with it. End quote. Yeah. Like Paul was trained as a mentat and the role his mentat training took in the realization of his powers. With all of that in mind, I I gotta say, I think this is an, an intended throwback reference. Like that Leto is using this verbiage to recognize what he's going through and recognizing the change and looking between the change. He's understanding process, attempting to flow with it as a mentat less tinfoil hat tea, uh, Leto Chu trying to suss out whether he's experiencing, uh, you know, a memory or a future, which feels as real as any of his past memories, is a page straight from Paul's book, right? Like, at the end of that paragraph, quote, without knowing where it began, he found himself moving within a gigantic moment of bien heureux, (laughs) able to see the past in the future, present in the past, the now in both past and future. It was the accumulation of centuries experienced between one heartbeat and the next. End quote. And it's here that with his Father Presence's guidance, Leto II is forced to expand his consciousness and adjust his kind of method for thinking about himself and the universe, much in the same way that Paul had to kind of on his own, but nevertheless, it, it's not going to be exactly the same. Uh, they are different people after all.
0: Yeah. All right. That's takeaway number two, folks. And that wraps up our takeaways for today's reading. But as always, we have a little bit more left on our plate. (laughs) And let me tell you, it smells delicious. So let's take a short breather, but don't go anywhere because we still got some spice morsels to chomp down on. So we'll be right back. Welcome
1: back, everybody. Let's get into them. Spice morsels. And I think the best place to start is a spice morsel made with rodent meat. (laughs) Mmm, delicious. Uh, Jerboas. Way, Jerboas. Okay, in today's reading, as Leto approaches Fondak, we get this little aside. Quote, In a valley between two dunes, he came upon a family of Jerboa, which scampered away at his approach. End quote. Now, Naturally, I looked up Jerboa. I was like, what's that? And I was Mm -hmm. immediately sucked down a rabbit hole of rodent taxonomy. So (laughs) let's talk about it. I swear to God, I spent like probably about an hour and a half learning about mice. Um, (laughs) It's terrible, but also very enjoyable. Okay. So searching Google, I was like, what is a Jerboa? They are the primary image I've come to associate with kangaroo mice, a.k.a. Mwadiib. Mm. Like, if you Google image search kangaroo mice, you will see lots of picture of jerboa. And I was like, okay, so are they distinct? Are they the same? Is there confusion around jerboa versus kangaroo mice? Are these synonyms? So I uh, continued my search and my research, which led me to a YouTube video by Animal Fact Files, (laughs) who has a video titled, Jerboa Facts. They're not kangaroo mice, but they look like them. <laughs> Fantastic title. Uh, right on the nose. Right on the cute little mouse nose. <laughs> so Animal Fact Files brought both facts and files, folks. They brought the receipts along with scientific names, which, again, took about an hour of my life, but it's fine. <laughs> kangaroo mice are from the family Heteromyidae. That's how I'm going to say that Latin word. Whereas gerboa are from the family Dipodidiae, something like that. They do share a suborder. They're in the same suborder, right? Order being rodents, suborder being mice-like things, called myomorpha, which includes hamsters, voles, lemmings, mice, and gerbils, in addition to kangaroo mice and gerboa. And if you Google any of these fucking things, you are going to notice that they are all very similar. (laughs) Even though they are only in the same suborder. Anyway, back to Dune. This leaves two possibilities, okay? On a meta sense, it's possible Frank knew the difference between a kangaroo mouse and a jerboa, which would mean that jerboa and muadib are different animals on Dune. And Leto noticing them is just, he's noticing another little desert creature, right? Yeah. Or... Possibility two, Frank made the same mistake fucking Google makes clearly, and conflated the two, thinking that jerboa and uh, kangaroo mice are synonymous. Meaning in Dune, jerboa could be the same as muadib. My theory is that in Dune, jerboa is is like an offworlder word for, or is a another way of describing muadib, right? This is, and this is why. This would mean that Leto sees a little family of Moadib, the mouse that his father took as his own name and refers to them as just another desert animal using non-Fremen language. He is on a mission in the desert to topple Moadib as a god and to begin his own life and path, and so there is some real significance to this kind of erasure of his father in that moment. Right? He's disconnected from his Fremen vocabulary. He's not looking at the mice and going, he's Muadib. He is thinking about all of this as Leto, who's lived a million lifetimes off of Arrakis. Those are Jerboa. <laughs> I know because I checked its taxonomy or whatever. <laughs> but there you have it Jerboa, technically in the real world, not the same as kangaroo mice, but it's possible in Dune they are. <laughs>
0: now you know. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. What a ride. All righty. Well, after that hashtag mouse facts morsel, (laughs) Mm -hmm. we just have some crumbs left on our plate. Let's talk about one more morsel before wrapping up today. Stroboscopic awareness. Mm. In Leto II's forced spice trance, his father presence scolds him for attempting too quickly to understand what's happening. Quote, Don't invite disaster. You're learning stroboscopic awareness now. Without it, you could overrun yourself. Lose your placemark in time. End quote. So, of course, this term stood out to us, and we wanted to do a little bit of Googling and figure out what it means. Right. Apparently, a stroboscope is an instrument that measures motion or determines speeds of rotation by flashing or strobing a light that corresponds to the thing that's moving and or rotating.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Bringing this back to Dune, this warning from Paul suggests that the full powers of prescience, all of these visions, all of this data that is jammed into your brain is actually best practiced in almost like a flickering measure. Like it's probably not a good aid, good idea to try and consume all of it all at once, like Leto two tries to in today's reading. It's better that much like a stroboscope, you perhaps flash a light occasionally on that prescience to, you know, quote unquote, measure it or to interpret it or to intake that data so that you can process it. Otherwise, like Paul is saying, you may lose your placemark in time. You may forget where you are and when you are. Because you're dipping into the past, present, future all at the same time. Right. Well, those are our morsels,
1: one of which, not vegetarian, uh, the other which, <laughs> uh, f- physics-based and, like, framed. <laughs> For the next episode, your homework, dear listener, read up to page 451 or to the chapter that ends on the sentence, and this is if you have a different version of the book, ends on the sentence, quote, with this commitment... Leto's awareness slipped into the web of timeless Tao. End quote.
0: (laughs) Oh, no. We just talked about stroboscopic awareness. God damn it, We're going to have to talk it again
1: so much. (laughs) So many rabbit holes. (laughs) So many gerboa holes. (laughs) Ew. (laughs) What? (laughs) They burrow, I think. Oh, that's what you meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gerboa holes. (laughs) Gerboa (laughs) holes. Man,
0: read the outro. <laughs> well, friends, there is no real ending. It's just the place where you stop the recording. But this podcast is always one step beyond logic. So help spread the word of Mwadib and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And be sure to check out the other shows on the Lord Party Podcast Network on LordParty.com. You can also follow us on twitter and instagram at lore underscore party thank you so much for listening and remember whoever controls the podcast controls the universe we'll see you on the golden path
1: i also appreciated that he's like oh yeah paul atreides and like was like you dare call him paul Atre-? and gurney who's like beating the shit out of paul a thousand times <laughs> like, right Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, man, I called him young fucking pup. I can call him whatever I want.
1: He'll always tell you that I called him young pup, but I always said the fucking in there. I always said young fucking pup. <laughs> or young fucking for short. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don't tell your grandmother this, but I also called him a son of a bitch.
1: <laughs> yeah. son of a son of a son of a witch. Son of a bitch <laughs> son, of a <laughs> hey, son of a witch. Son of a witch.
0: Oh, God. All right.